Hello, it is Sunday, April 4th. I am Trent Reinsmith, and this is another edition of the Daily Come On Now MMA Podcast. So, let's see what we'll start with here today. Let's start off with some PFL, Professional Fighters League. They changed some, well, they changed the weight-cutting um, penalty, for lack of a better term. And what they're going to do this year is, well, this season, and this is according to Mark Ramondi of ESPN, a fighter who is overweight on the scale at weigh-ins will be deducted one point in the standings in the PFL season structure, promotion officials told ESPN on Thursday. In previous season, a fighter who missed weight could not earn any points, even victory, but no standing points were actually taken away until now. So I don't know what this does for weight cutting. It doesn't, it surely doesn't address it. In fact, it makes it a little more difficult because now you're getting a point taken away. So if you're struggling with your weight cut, this doesn't really help you and it doesn't really fix anything. It just penalizes more. The idea is not to fix the weight cut by penalizing because no one wants to miss weight. No one plans on missing weight. But if you miss weight, you're going to get you know, penalized even more than you did um, previously. And the fact that you could win and not get any points was bad enough. But now you can win and get negative points. I think this could cause for some fight cancellations. It could cause people to give up on their weight cuts. Or it could cause people to push more than they should on their weight cuts. So short story... It doesn't address weight cutting at all. It just makes it possibly even worse because now, you know, you have a pretty big loss if you if you don't make, make weight under the PFL format. And it's already under a reduced time frame. So this, you know, it it it's it's a backward step actually. So I I, I don't know what the thinking is here. I know the the simple thinking is well, if you make the punishment worse, the fighter will try harder to make weight. But what does that do? It makes the fighter possibly try harder to make weight, and then that fighter puts himself at even puts himself at even more danger of of long term, you know, injury to their body. I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. It doesn't make sense to me. It's a backward step. It's. I mean, I I I think. It's the easy step. It's something that PFL can point to and say we're doing something. But what they're doing is actually making things more dangerous. So it was. It would have been better to leave well enough alone in this situation. Speaking of weight cutting, um, Julia Stolarenko, I'm sorry if that name got messed up. She was supposed to fight. Um, I forget who she was supposed to fight. But she was supposed to fight at UFC on ESPN 21. She collapsed twice while she was on the scale. And she checked in at 135.5. So she made weight for the Bantamweight contest. and But it was called off correctly because she fainted twice on the scale. Um, she was taken off on a stretcher. It was an ugly situation. It was a scary situation. And... What she said doesn't check out, in my opinion, because 
I've seen weight cuts. I've done weight cuts. Not recently, but in the past. And here's what she said. The problem wasn't my weight cut. And actually, I want to say it was one of the easiest cuts in my career and weight was dropping too fast. The main issue, I think, was that I made weight too early. I, w- I just was too long time on weight. As everybody knows, when you cut weight, you cannot be on this weight for too long because you've already, you're already on the limits of your di- dehydration and so on. That was an issue why it all happened. I don't believe this one because it's self-diagnosis. And of course, you're not, as a fighter, you're not going to say that you screwed up or that your body gave out. You're not going to put the blame on yourself in this situation to be, to be blunt. And you're going to spin it in a, in a positive, And that's what she did here. So I don't buy it. Uh, and here's the main reason I don't buy it. If you're on weight four hours ahead of time, you can do some do some rehydration. You can you can rehydrate a little bit. You can you know suck on ice cubes. You can take some small sips of water. You can maintain that weight for for a decent amount of time, and you can take in some 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 fluids. And I don't think you can take in a massive amount of fluids. But if you're if you're four hours outside the window and you're on weight or underweight because she checked in at 135.5, you have an opportunity to um, keep monitoring that weight, take in fluids a little bit at a time, and and just maintain 136. And then you're good to go. So either she didn't do this and her her team failed her in in letting her do that, but I don't think that's the case um, because if you can take in fluids and you're dehydrated, you're going to take in fluids. Um, and again, you just take in what you can handle at that and to maintain that weight. Don't do any more. Definitely don't do any less, but stay right around there. And if things get dicey and you go a little over and the time's coming close, you can always go back and do a, a, a real shortcut. Just jump in the sauna and things should come off fairly easy. But I, I don't buy it. So... But let's just say it's true. Let's say that she made weight too soon, too easy, which again, I don't think that's true. But what is that? Is that good? It still doesn't make this a positive. It still doesn't spin that as in, well, you know, it's understandable. It still points to a barbaric practice that if you're dehydrated that badly for that long, even for that, even if you get get in there and, and you're dehydrated for a very short amount of time, you're and your body's at the point where you're it's just quitting and giving out in order to preserve what it has fluids it has in, and it's shutting down quote unquote unneeded systems. Then that points to the fact that weight cutting is terrible and should be something should be done about it. What shouldn't be done about it is what PFL is doing and further punishment for missing weight. What should be done about it is a more scientific way of telling these fighters what weight they should be competing at, ideally. Uh, And that can be done. The UFC has the means to do it. I don't know if everyone else has the means to do it, but the uh, UFC PI could 100% do this. They could run the test. They could, you know, check every fighter under contract and give them an ideal weight to compete at. 
and not suggest, but give. But to do that, it would, uh, I would think the fighters would have to be made employees and that's a sticking point. I don't think it should be a sticking point because Dana White has said more than once, UFC goes above and beyond in health and safety. And if it did go above and beyond in health and safety, it would be mandating fighters to compete at the best weight they can they can compete at healthy and not forcing, forcing might be the wrong word, but not encouraging through silence the barbaric weight cutting. But it's not doing that. Um, so there's solutions. They just are solutions that the UFC doesn't want to look at because it's it hurts their bottom line. But again, I don't buy this excuse. I don't think she made weight that early. And if, even if she did, I think it was handled poorly by her, by her, by her team. Because again, could have taken in some fluids, not an incredible amount, but if you have four hours of window just before the start of the weigh-ins, not to, not to mention the fact that the weigh-ins go on a couple hours after that, you have a, a fair amount of time if you miscalculate your intake, which you shouldn't because it's not that hard to do to just take a sip of water, step on the scale. Take another couple sips of water, step on the scale. All right, I'm at 136. Go lay down, relax, come back in a half hour, and just keep repeating that and taking a minimum amount of fluids in. So I don't buy this excuse, like I said. Um, hopefully she either looks at going up to 145 or doing a better job of timing the weight cut and dealing with being on weight possibly because it's this uh, weight cutting needs to be, well, it needs to be fixed. So something else, this isn't related to weight cutting, but it's kind of the, the kind of thing that gets that uh, MMA promotions say to get good press, but they don't really give any indication of how they're going to do things. One example of that was one FC's one championships weight weight thing weight cutting, which they came out with this plan or it looked good on paper, but no one's sure how it's being done, and it's just a lot of gray area. So, bare knuckle fighting championships said that they are going to start a pension plan for their fighters, and when the headline is BKFC says it's starting a pension plan for its fighters' retirements, sounds. Great. Sounds fantastic. Sounds like what every promotion should do. And then you read about it and you read the comments of the president of the BKFC, Dave Feldman, and you come away with a different feeling than what the headline was. And here is what Feldman said. Our fighters are the most important asset of the company. We want to ensure that they're compensated not only on the night of the fight, but also looked after in retirement. For each BKFC fight, money will be placed in a pension account for them to draw on upon retirement. Sounds good. BKFC is the hottest, fastest growing, and most exciting sport in the world, and we want to ensure that our fighters are taken care of in every possible way. Okay, again, sounds great. But then when it comes down to the details, there are none just empty words and empty promises so you can announce this and it sounds perfect it sounds like you're doing the right thing but when you don't provide any details of amounts overseeing oversight when you can get it etc 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 you're just saying here we're going to do this and if we know things about bkfc 
they've said things in the past that they were gonna do, and they didn't. They those things didn't come to fruition. So to say I'm suspicious of this would be an understatement. I think this was just a PR blast to get some attention on the BKFC, in which it did, but it was it was absent of any any proof that this is going to happen other than the word of someone who is a fight promoter and who has delivered empty promises in the past. So this one falls under the uh, the show me, don't tell me aspect of MMA and uh, combat sports promotion. You can say a lot of things, but if you don't deliver, you know, the, the out on these is, well, I'm a promoter. Well, yeah, you're a promoter, but you just told your fighters they're going to get a pension, but you didn't say... Who's eligible? How much? When? If it'll reduce fight purses? You didn't say any of that. You just said you were going to do it. So the, the devil's in the details here. I, I, I bet 100%. So while it sounds good, let's wait till we uh, get some real information on this other than just some pretty sounding words because that's all we have right now is some words and no facts, no action. So more or less, nothing. We have nothing. One thing that I found kind of amusing a little bit was the UFC announced this deal with Venom. It's not a great deal. Fighters basically are going to get the same thing they got from Reebok, and which was not fantastic. But it sounds like the UFC also did not vet this company all that well, and or the CEO of Venom didn't provide the UFC with full detail. So this could get a little ugly because it turns out Venom also has a Venom Brazil and they are owned and operated by two different people. So here's where we found out. Um, This is a story according to MMA Fighting. Brazilian businessman Andre Vieira was a co-owner of Venom before the company split into two different entities on January 4th, 2016. So, five years ago? He now owns the rights to the brand in his native country, while Frank Dupuy, Dupuy, um, however you, I'm sorry if I'm butchering his name, his former partner is the CEO in charge of Venom's global business operations. The UFC called Venom its, quote, exclusive global outbetting and apparel partner in July 2020. And the first card for Venom is April 10th, which let me know, we still have not seen the Venom fight kits. Six days, the uh, the fight's going to take place. Uh, Vieira said his company needs to be brought into the fold if the UFC wants to do business in Brazil. And I'm going to guess the UFC is going to want to do business in Brazil because it's one of the bigger markets for the UFC. He said he reached out to the UFC's parent company Endeavor as soon as the deal was announced which was again 2020, and was told the company wasn't aware of the existence of two Venom companies. And that's, you can point some fingers here, but you can't point them at the Brazil um, operator. You can point them at the UFC, who I think just saw dollar signs and didn't vet this as well as it should have. And you can point it at the CEO of the Venom um, in France, who kind of left that part out, that there was a Brazil. And so this is going to get kind of weird and kind of, it could get kind of ugly. And 
the one holding the cards here is the uh, the Brazilian president of the of the Venom. I've contacted them, said I was open to negotiations, that I'm not here to be a problem. Vieira said to MMA Fighting, quite the opposite. I'm here to add and be part of the business, and so far I haven't gotten any return call. This is pretty big news. Probably not for 2021, since we're probably not going to see any fight cards outside of the U.S. and Fight Island, perhaps. But once the pandemic subsides a little bit and the UFC can start traveling again internationally, this is going to be a huge deal because I bet Brazil is going to be the first places it returns to. And if it doesn't have a deal with Venom Brazil, things are going to get nasty. And rightfully so. This is a problem the UFC and Venom in France should have taken care of before the announcement was made in July and definitely before the rollout uh, took place for this deal to start on April 10th. So there's time, but the UFC is going to have to fork over probably some kind of cash to this to the Brazilian uh, b- brand in order to operate in Brazil. So, I mean, the UFC might even be able to walk away from this deal. I don't know. That would have to take it to the court because of, uh, because of Venom France, and maybe there's things that were missed on, on Venom's side, but definitely on the UFC side. So... This is uh, interesting. It could get ugly, like I said, and it bears watching, especially from a business point of view. And again, the UFC, I don't think they they vet who they do business with all that well because there's CBD, um, the, the, the brand they went into business with for CBD or uh, for hemp uh, a while ago. That died on the vine, and now they have a new provider. I think the UFC is just interested in inking deals and then dealing with those deals after the fact and looking back and saying, you know what? We got our money. They paid. We're good. Um, yeah, the UFC just, from my from my point of view, from my perspective, and from the sponsorships and um, partnerships that it has done, I think they're based more on cash into the UFC's coffers than anything. And this shows you that they don't dig deep enough. They don't dig as far as they should have. So this was a pretty bad move in the UFC. And I'll be watching it. But it's going to be interesting. Very interesting to see how this turns out. And that's all I have for today. I am almost caught up. So I should catch up on this coming week. On in the first couple days of the week, catch all up and be back to normal. But I suspect we'll probably get a podcast every day this coming week, and uh, we'll go from there. So thanks for listening. Uh, keep tuning in, and until tomorrow, everyone stay safe.